Hello and welcome to the Wellington Holton Hills Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. In this mini-series, we are profiling the people running in the riding of Wellington Halton Hills, which basically surrounds Guelph. And it has a very unique and different character from our political field here in the Royal City. And on this edition of the podcast, we're going to talk to Green Party of Canada candidate Randrew. Now, the first thing you have to understand about Wellington Halton Hills is that this is Michael Chong country. The conservative politician won the 2019 election with 47.4% of the vote, which was slightly lower than his 2015 take. But the only way he could have been defeated was if the combined Liberal, NDP, and Green Party vote had all gotten behind one candidate. The word untouchable might not be an understatement. Having said that, people are still trying to touch him, electorally speaking, and in the 2019 election, with another easy Chong victory, the story in Wellington Halton Hills was the rise of the Green Party. In 2015, Green Party candidate Brent Boitler lost almost 2.5% of the Greens' vote share from 2011, and in 2019, Ralph Martin then added nearly 9% to finish third, with 12.7% of the vote. Look, no one's putting money on a Green Party upset in this riding in 2021, but the watchword is momentum, and it looks like the Greens have got some in this riding. The question is, can Rand Drew capitalize on Ralph Martin's success from 2019, or has the Green Party's moment passed in Wellington Halton Hills? The candidate testing that assumption, as I said, is Rand Drew. If you've interacted with provincial politics in the last few years in Guelph, then you have likely met or talked to Drew, who was recently the constituency coordinator for Guelph MPP Mike Schreiner. He immigrated to Guelph from China with his family when he was eight years old. He grew up in Guelph, and then he graduated from York University with a double major in economics and theater. After that, he started working with then-parliamentary assistant for infrastructure Bob Delaney, and in 2018, he made his way back to Guelph to work for Ontario's first elected representative from the Green Party. Now Drew wants to be an elected representative himself, and he talks this week to the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast all about it. So this week on the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast, we're joined by Rand Drew as he talks about running in an election as a young person, running in this election as a Green, and running in a riding with a very tough incumbent candidate. We also talk about his views on the future with the threat of climate change, how climate change can be made more of a priority in this election, and whether it's the sleeper issue among the electorate during the campaign. And finally, we will discuss why he's excited about Anime Paul's leadership, what he's learned working for Mike Schreiner, and the difficulties door-knocking during a pandemic in a riding as big and diverse as Wellington Halton Hills. So, I caught up with Randrew earlier this week via Zoom. Randrew, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Uh, let's get the big blue elephant out of the way first. You're running in a riding where Michael Chong has... I mean, if, if you are old enough to vote uh, for the first time in this election, you don't know a time when Michael Chong has not been your MPP in Wellington Halton Hills, so... Can you talk a bit about that challenge, like that hurdle of, of uh, you know, frankly, in a, a po- running such, such again, such a popular incumbent who has six elections under his belt? Yeah, so he's been MP since 
I was 10, <laughs> um, which was 17 years ago. So he's actually been the MP since the creation of the riding. So he's definitely a, a tough challenge. Um, and that actually is brought up a lot at the doors. So um, for me, I'll give my little spiel about what I say at the doors is <laughs> it's about advocacy for me. Um, if you feel like he's been an MP for 17 years and he hasn't really done much for the community in terms of actual advocacy, then um, that's what I'm here to challenge. Um, people often say, oh, I know when I tell them that um, they've been uh, like he's been the MP for 17 years. So he, he has gone rogue a few times uh, from the conservative party. And, and I know he's, he's a really good champion for the community, but at the end of the day, um, he does belong to a party that has a whip that tells uh, the MPs how to vote. Um, he is held accountable to the caucus and he belongs to the party that voted down uh, on believing in climate change at the end of the day. So what I want to do is that I want to be held accountable to uh, constituents and not 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 the Conservative Party of Canada, because it's actually in our constitution, uh, the Green Party, that we don't have a whip to tell us how to vote. So that's sort of my um, sales pitch on on how to um, combat a, a, a long-standing strong MP. But like I said, it's still going to be a challenge nonetheless. But very aware of it and people at the doors are also very aware of that in terms of like painting a picture of what it would look like if people were to elect you you would be with with respect to you and the party and everybody but you know there would have to be a, like a huge like dynamic shift to have you know like let's say 50 green MPs even. I know that sounds like nirvana to you but you know you would be <laughs> one of a handful of green MPs so when you're talking to people at the doors, it's like, yeah, Michael Chong, he's been MP for a while, but you know, we're relatively sure our, our voices are being heard um, at least in one big party caucus. You know, what, what does electing a green MP offer the people of Wellington Halton Hills in a, in a, in a smaller caucus? Well, I think we will definitely put Wellington Halton Hills on the map. Um, I know Guelph was put on the map in Ontario when Mike was elected uh, provincially. So, yes, if, if, if Michael Chong's a good MP, it'll put us on the map in terms of the Conservative caucus. But nationally, no one's really talking about Wellington Halton Hills, in my opinion. So um, when the Saanich Gulf Islands got uh, Elizabeth May elected, it really put that part of the island on the national map oh, wow, those people really care about the environment. Those people really care about doing politics differently. So similarly with Fredericton, with uh, Nanaimo Lady Smith, uh, it really put us on the national political map. So I think if we put Wellington Halton Hills uh, on the political map, we have to make the bold choice by electing the Green MP. Um, and actually Aaron Mills, uh, one of the communities in uh, Wellington Halton Hills, they actually have uh, the first, they're, they're one of the first uh, that carbon neutral villages in North America. So mm. that put themselves on the map. So I know if we want to really promote uh, environmental forward initiatives on the map, um, a, a green MP would be the way to go. People may know you or have seen you from at least Guelph people. Uh, <laughs> you are, uh, you've worked in Mike Schreiner's constituency office. Yes. Um, 
what have you, you know, it, it puts you in a prime position to sort of learn from someone who's done it. So, you know, what have you learned from Mike Schreiner about being a good politician and, and what it takes to get elected? Yeah. Um, so I, I do bring up my experience a lot um, because my age is brought up a lot. And mm. so I will always say I worked for Mike Schreiner for three years and people know who he is uh, in, in my writing because our, our writing sort of wraps around uh, Guelph like a donut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've learned a lot from Mike. I, I always say I've been part of the green politics. I've seen it done. It's possible. And I've been part of that positive change. Mike does do politics differently. And something else I say at the door is that all four major parties at the end of the day, we have the same goal. We want to help people. And mm-hmm. I do think people forget that because of all the partisanship, because of all the heckling in, in during question period. Um, there's this almost negative partisanship that exists where uh, parties just undo what the other party does. And um, it's not right. And it's unproductive. And I think Mike has really brought in collaboration and positivity into politics. Um, the first bill, the first green bill that he ever passed in Ontario, he actually collaborated with a conservative uh, MPP. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just doesn't heckle during question period. He's a very positive person. He he talks to people in a respectful way. Um, I don't know if you've seen people just being condescending to each other during question period, Adam, like both federally and provincially. And, and it's hard to miss. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just know that doing that um, really doesn't get us anywhere. And it makes people want to turn away from even paying attention, um, which, you know, we're, we're sort of victims from, from political apathy is because of that hostile environment that um, certain big party politicians have created for us. So that's the most important lesson I've learned from Mike is to know how to do politics differently. I've observed it and um, I, I uh, hope to be a very positive person um, if I'm elected and I'm, pretty positive at the door. So I think people are just impressed to have um, nice conversations with me as opposed to uh, more so negative ones where I'm attacking other candidates. I haven't been doing that at all. Well, you kind of brought it up. You are on the young side. So um, is that still kind of a barrier for candidates like you, candidates under 30, that uh, you have to explain yourself a bit more? Because what is, you know, what what are you doing in this race with all your your youngness? And, you know, it, it, it seems like that's still kind of a uh, an area of bias people have. You can't be young and be a serious politician. Right. Um, I will say it is brought up at 95% of the doors. <laughs> I talk about it constantly. So um, there is a bias. And then there's almost like a pride that people have. Um Pride-wise, a lot of people are just proud of me for running. They just say, no, we need more young people in politics. Thank you for for running and good luck to you. Um, I get a lot of those positive messages. The bias, I will also get, well, you're so young or or how old are you? Outright, they'll ask my age. And I'm not ashamed of that. I mean, a little bit because I I feel the weight of aging. (laughs) I will just outright say I'm I'm 27. I know I look young, but I do have a lot of experience working in politics. That's, I mean, that's the bulk of my career. And then the other thing is that I say that, you know, I I look like an anomaly um, compared to my candidates or compared to everyone that's running nationally, but I'm, I'm not an anomaly, right? People, people need to have every age group, every racial background represented. And this is my climate that I'm fighting for the next 
10, 20, 30 years. And people who have children really resonate with that. So, um, you know, hearing that bias only deters more young people from, from, from running. So I, I sort of want to go against that and say, well, because of that, I am going to run. So, yeah. All, all I'll say to that is if you think you're aging now, wait 15 years. Uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned, you know, being young, you kind of, and, and I think this is kind of top of mind with a lot of young people is sort of what yeah. the world is going to look like with the effects of climate change. You know, when, when you are, you know, retirement age, you know, what kind of world are you retiring into? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of, what kind of things do you think about around that? I mean, what kind of concerns you about what, what does the earth look like in 40 years? And, and, you know, does that keep you up? Is that, you know, I, you're running for the Green Party, so that is a primary mm-hmm. motivator. So just, you know, at, speaking as a youth, I mean, what is your kind of climate anxiety? Right. Um, well, obviously, our, our rising temperature, our GHG emissions, a lot of uh, <laughs> people will say it's so hot outside and you're <laughs> you're sweaty and you're 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 walking down the street. And I just say, well, I'm door knocking in the scorching sun, so I don't have to door knock in the scorching sun. Um, the, the evidence is there. Our, our, our average annual temperature is just going like that and there's no way to refute it. Um, and I don't want to say I'm anxious because mm. I, I know the green party has our platform mission possible. That makes me feel assured that there is a way to address it, that we're not at the point of no return yet, because I think being anxious will just turn me into an, an alarmist and I'm not because I, I know it's possible to address it. Um, so I, I think more positively than, than allowing myself to be anxious and knowing that um, a geography teacher spoke to me yesterday at the farmer's market where we were at. And she said that um, we reached 75% um, at the school's mock elections. So I know that in the five, in the next five, 10 years, uh, the green wave is coming because I'm always winning the polls at high schools. <laughs> so that gives me a lot of hope um, instead of anxiety. So. Fair enough. Uh, when you're out there and, and talking to people, is climate change a bigger issue than I guess we're kind of seeing in the media or is, are, are you struggling to make it an issue? And, you know, what's, what's the, what's the voter feeling about all this no not at all like i i I actually don't have to bring it up a lot of the times because people bring it up um i say well um i don't really have a script but i always ask well what are your priorities before you head to to the polls next month and they will say climate change and then i get really happy that they want to talk about that i mean not all the time i would say half of the people will say climate change is their priority. Um, so I, I do know that it's on people's minds. Um, a lot of people say, I, I, I care about climate change, but I can't vote green um, because you guys won't win in this writing. Mm. And it really frustrates me because I will say, well, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, then I would win. So then I sort of educate them on my beliefs on, on strategic voting and uh, wasting a vote and, and not having proportional representation and the frustrations of that and then us being victims about that. But this is my uh, company byline is 
Um, the only ways to vote is a vote you don't believe in. So if you're mm. voting for a, a climate platform from another party that you don't really believe in because you don't want to vote green because we'll never win, you're still wasting a vote regardless. It's strange to think that, <clears throat> I mean, Michael Chong is, as you said, is better on climate change and was actually in favor of a carbon tax when he ran as leader in 2017. <laughs> but um the party is not is I mean, what's the kind of cognitive dissonance there that, you know, from from you from you talking to people that, you know, they support. I mean, they support a man who who supports the action, but the party does not, as you, as you said, does not support action. Yeah, he he really has been a, a, a good advocate on climate issues. Um, my mentor who ran in 2019 actually told me that. Uh, after we came in third in 2019, he started to put a lot of his flyers in the color green. Um, mm. He definitely feels the pressure of talking about climate change. And he did co-found the uh, All Caucus Climate um, Committee at, at, at Parliament, I believe it's called. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, we, I, I talk about his leadership bit a lot. The reason that he didn't become the leader of the conservative party or, or dropped out so, so soon in, in the race, it's because he does go rogue. Right. <laughs> and I think he just doesn't have the ability to convince his party members and, and other MPs that uh, climate change is a, is a priority and not even a priority. I mean, they don't want to recognize it in, in their platform. So that's why I think his leadership, it stopped so short. So if he doesn't even have the ability to, um, you know, convince his own colleagues in the party to, to, to really recognize that it's an issue. Um, I think a vote for him is really just a vote part of the, the status quo. Maybe as part of this, we could talk a bit about the character of Wellington Halton Hills. You know, you've been out and about now. Um, and it's an interesting area because, as you said, it's the donut around Guelph, but you have suburban areas and act in Georgetown. You have, you know, kind of half rural areas like, you know, Rockwood, Fergus. Um, you have strictly rural areas, too. You know, how do you get your head around this writing where there is so much, you know, just geographic diversity? Well, I definitely feel that um, <laughs> just door knocking in different communities. They're, they're very different communities. So I try, I try to just bring up things that uh, matter to local people. Um, people in Georgetown don't really care about what's going on in urine, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's just part of having that sort of flexibility and, and, and uh, adjustability when it comes to what issues you're bringing up. Like in Aaron, I do bring up um, the Aaron wastewater treatment plant a lot and people are very concerned. So if I don't bring it up, um, they will bring it up. Georgetown is very dense. So I hear a lot about housing, about childcare. A lot of parents live there. So, and it's just such a shifting, shifting demographic. I mean, a lot of Urban people from Toronto are moving to Georgetown to find cheaper housing. So these, these population centers are now more left-leaning than and than a couple years ago. Mm. And then, of course, there's the very rural part. So we are planning to knock on some uh, farm 
farms that are very sparse. It's kind of like, you know, a good five minute drive between each farm. And um, Ralph, who ran in 2019, actually said, you know, when he knocked on some farmer's doors, they're so happy because <laughs> no one bothers to knock on their doors because it's just not an efficient day for door, door knocking, right? You have right. to drive five hours to get to one farm, you know, drive up the long windy road to get to the barn, knock on their door, and then you drive, you know, back onto the main road, drive another five minutes to get to another farm. It's just not efficient, but they're so happy that um, there's even someone knocking on their doors asking for their opinion. Like, what are you thinking about before you head to the election? And, and I know that actually the Green Party has some of the best agricultural policy that farmers really like. And farmers are kind of like an insular group, like they all talk to each other. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that that can be a smart investment of time. If you get even just yeah. get the one farmer, you're also getting to like five other farmers. Like Rand came by my house and cheered this all this about the Green Party. Maybe I'm being <laughs> optimistic, but um, talk to me a bit about um, the Green Party leader, Annamie Paul. You know, what 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 do you think? What are the characteristics that make her a good uh, leader? Um, someone you want to support, someone you want to help elevate to uh, to the maybe one day the prime ministership, but uh, at the very least having her um, in the house and and helping to sort of lead the the Green Caucus in the house. What what's your you know what's your take on Annamie Paul? Sure, uh, I love her. I've met her a few times. I think she's very well spoken, very interesting, and very intelligent. And I feel like your follow-up question is probably going to be about the contention going on uh, with her leadership. So I will address that because it comes up a lot at the doors a lot. Um, I just think that we are really tough on her. Mm. That's what I say. Because other leaders, they have gone through much, much worse things. Uh, there's one specific scandal I can think of, um, and they still stood strong as leaders. Their uh, party members still supported them. And I know that when this particular incident happened with uh, another major party, um, there was a fraction of that party that wanted to get him out. Um, mm. But they contain it. The Green Party is very transparent. In, in, in many ways, when I talk about not having a whip, we're almost encouraged to not agree with our leader on everything. So with change, it comes with discomfort. Um, and we elected her through a democratic process. Um, and just this month, we have a new federal council and we're ready for this election. And I wish the public will just also give her an open mind, an open chance to lead, because that is what she deserves. Um, because I think people have forgiven other party leaders with other things, um, we can forgive her for, for having five people in our party that doesn't like her, that want mm. her out. And that, I am not one of those five people. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but, you know, pandemic recovery, um, that's, if, if there's kind of an issue that's superseding climate change, it's people's concerns about what post-pandemic life's going to look like, or even just getting to post-pandemic life. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, in your view, kind of what are the challenges there uh, to get to, to, to like finish this, to get to the end of the crisis and, and what, you know, what kind of directions would you want to see from the federal government to get there? Right. 
I would want to see us get out of the pandemic in a sustainable way, of course. Um, but for me, it would actually be housing. Um, I think the pandemic actually really um, highlighted the housing issues that we are seeing in uh, in our society. So uh, I'll get personal for a little bit. Um, I am currently couch surfing um, because of a curious situation that happened to me during the pandemic. And because of the pandemic, there was issues with the landlord tenant board and mm. it really has heightened just, it really just highlighted the issue that we have with, with, with tenants and, and even landlords on, on trying to, to resolve issues relating to housing. Um, and even now, I don't see myself ever owning a house. And mm. I mean, I'm, when I lived in Toronto, I'm pretty sure I was paying somebody's mortgage when I, <laughs> when I was paying over $1,000 in rent, but I would never have the uh, income to, to get a down payment on a, on a property. But hey, I, I have a university degree. I, I had a full-time job up until two weeks ago. And it's, it's a struggle to, to not have policies that enable someone like myself to, to find housing. And it's a struggle to, to have someone like myself not even be able to find affordable places to rent. Um, so I'm going to be couch surfing in Erin. So <laughs> at least I can vote for myself in the interim, but <laughs> frustrating to, yeah, I'm sorry. I said that word so many times. So I, I hope that the federal government, um, will recognize that. Well, hasn't the pandemic shown us a lot of the inequality that was already there in our society, but it, if the gap was big, uh, the, um, the pandemic has made it even bigger because the people who are privileged enough um, gotten more privileged during the pandemic because they were more so protected by, by the fabrics right. of society. So yeah, I, I hope we will address affordable housing and I know the green party has commitments to make very bold investments on um, sustainable housing, but also affordable housing um, that are part of social programs. Well, I appreciate your candor and like, I, I know it's not Wellington Holton Hills, but did somebody send me like a, a, to a website, link to a website for a new development that's coming up here in Guelph called Royal Flats. And I think the starting rent for a one bedroom is $1,900. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So, your point. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, I think that's comparable to Manhattan. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's, we should look at that. <laughs> yes, we should. Uh, do you think there's a difference between what we're kind of being told this election's about and what people want this election to be about? Like, again, like going to, to the people you're talking to at the farmer's market at the doors, you know, is, is there a difference is, you know, are we even talking about the same things, you know, whether that's in the media, whether that's the national leaders who get most of the coverage or kind of what people are, are really worried about are, are all of these different areas different right um let me answer it this way i know i brought up a few issues that people talk about at the doors but people are generally annoyed mm. that the election is happening now mm -hmm. um i know the prime minister had sort of responded back to this question with saying well why does why do the other party leaders feel like they don't deserve to have a choice right now because for him, it was about 
giving the t- Canadians uh, a choice right now. But it was also his choice to call an election now, right? Yeah. It was also a, a choice for him to take all the MPs uh, out of their constituency offices and go into campaign mode when their main job is to advocate. Um, it was also his choice to spend a lot of money uh, with Elections Canada to to run a safe election. Uh, I think there is a priority here and that priority should have been to help us get out of the pandemic. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I just can't think about it right now. Mm-hmm. So um, before we even get into any issues, well, I asked, are you aware that there's an election next month? That's what I'm door knocking for. And they said, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not happy so yeah. despite the fact that you know we're we're really saying that this election is about choice is about change people didn't ask for it um right. and the ndp actually said we're, we're willing to work with the liberal party on on getting bills passed nothing wrong with that that's what i've been championing the whole time what's wrong with uh collaboration in our parliament so yeah if the ndp is able to say that i think great so let's all four parties work together this is not the time to get more seats or lose more seats or gain a majority we are elected to be um to be collaborative but we're we're not this year and we haven't been in previous years well you kind of touched on it there um People see politics, they see politicians, they think, you know, bitter, cynical people concerned with their own power. Mm-hmm. What separates, you know, Green in your experience, too, as, as someone who's worked with the Green Party in official capacity, like what separates Green politicians from, from, the, from the rest of the pack? I think we are in it for change and not for careers. Um. I would say Michael Chong is a career politician. I am not a career politician. Um, this is my first time doing anything like this. And I don't, I frankly don't know if I'll survive in it for, for more than a few terms. Um, my face isn't that thick. So <laughs> when people see me and they slam their doors in my face, I do take it personally. I, I sort of walk away from that driveway feeling like, Okay, my feelings are kind of hurt. Uh, <laughs> I, I know I've been told to have a thick skin, but yeah. kind of bummed me out that people are sometimes very rarely unfriendly. And I know part of being a politician is having that thick skin that wouldn't take things so personally. But um, yeah, I'm not in it for power. I'm 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 not in it for a career. I'm in it for 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 change. And um, I'll bring up an example with just uh, Mike. Um, when he was asked whether he was going to make a bid for uh, the federal Green Party leadership, he just said, no, I'm, I got elected to represent Guelph. And he got mul- asked multiple times if he was going to, and, and his answer was still the same. Um, I think when I see a lot of MPPs resign to run for MP or MPs resign from their post to run for uh, nonprofit leadership, or to become an ambassador. Um, it makes me just kind of, 
question what their intentions are. Why are you resigning in the middle of your term to get into another sector or to get into another leadership position? Seems like it's a resume thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what separates us is that the Green MPs that have been elected, the Green provincial MOAs and MPPs that have been elected, they don't tend to do that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, you know, one of them has, but I think in general, our goal is to make a change, to hold the balance of power, as opposed to become career politicians that um, more so care about their own resumes. Mm. You might, you may not have been in politics very long to know this, but for political reporters, the reason why we're always asking if someone's going to trade up and go to a different position is because the answer is, is always no until the answer is yes. So that's why we always have to ask. So (laughs) Ran, if uh, people want to learn more about you and uh, maybe interact with your campaign, maybe volunteer, get a sign, uh, get more information about uh, your stance on the issues, uh, where can people learn more about you? Um. Well, for very quickly on signs, we're doing very little signs. We're only putting them in public places and if people really, really want them. But we're doing green ribbons uh, because our campaign decided to cut down on single-use plastic. So we have these lovely uh, fabric ribbons that you can tie around your mailbox or your uh, trees. But uh, if you want to find out more about that or just anything in general about me, you can go to my website, uh, randrew.ca. So that's spelled R-A-N-Z-H-U.ca. Uh, and you can email me if you want to ask me anything about my views, ran.zhu at greenparty.ca. Well, Ranju, thank you so much for all your time today and uh, best of luck on the campaign trail. Yeah, thank you, Adam. And once again, that was Drew. To learn more about his campaign, you can go to randrew.ca. That is R-A-N-Z-H-U.ca. To hear interviews with Guelph's election candidates, you will have to tune in to Open Sources Guelph Thursdays at 5 p.m. on CFRU. You can also download the podcast version on Mondays. You will be able to hear the interview with Communist Party candidate Tristan Deneen with bonus material on this Monday's podcast version of Open Sources. And this coming Thursday on CFRU, you will get to hear the interview with the People's Party candidate, Josh Lear. And that is it for this edition of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast. The music for the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, You will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local election news, you can check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast for you next weekend. And until then, we will see you next time.